Good morning, church family. Rise and shine. What a beautiful day here. We've got a little bit of warmth coming in here. I think it's going to cause confusion. We're, fall was starting to set in, and now it's, it's like a little summer rush there. But what a blessing it is as we know the seasons are changing on us. Amen? Hey, I, if you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just blessed that you're here with us, even on those online. I didn't get a chance, but last week we were, I was so blessed. There was someone from Germany that's been watching us uh, who came and visited us here. So, so we had an opportunity to meet someone, uh, you know, those who are watching uh, overseas. So we welcome them again. And just what a blessing it was to meet her uh, visiting us here at Calvary Chapel here in the North Country. Hey, we're going to be picking right back up here. Um, another thing is Tom came, was out. We've been praying for him. Went through that emergency surgeries. He's home. He's with Judy. Pray for the, Tom and Judy to continue to heal and, and strengthen. And, and, you know, as when you get married and you hear about your, you, you get married, sickness or in health. You, you just, when you get older, you just realize this, these are true when you were in your 20s when you got married. And especially when you're, I think they're in their 80s, maybe 70s. I may be wrong. I should aim low, right? In their 70s, I think they're in their 80s, but, uh, but just pray for them because Judy has to take care of her husband uh, doing things that she never thought she might have to do so to help him through that. But what a blessing it is that we get to be part of everybody's lives to help each other. Amen? Hey, please stand. We're going to read a scripture together. The scriptural reading comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to take just verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Father, again, as we come and we open up your word, we know apart from your Holy Spirit moving to take your word to teach us these things. Apart from you, we, we wouldn't be able to understand these things. So we need your Holy Spirit to move in a mighty way into the hearts of your listeners those who have ears who want to hear, hearts that are softened who want to receive. And we ask you to move in a mighty way in your hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we all ask, amen, amen. Please be seated. As we take a look at Revelation chapter 4, we're going to be picking back up where we left off we're only going to take three verses this morning. There's a lot in these three verses. We're going to read the verses and we'll take them apart verse by verse. Follow along with me here. Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. And after these things I looked. And behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one 
capital O, sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and seridus, stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. As we look at these three verses, we recognize that for you're just joining us here in the study of the book of Revelation, that God is by his, uh, God's inspired outline gave us that outline in the scripture. We see that in Revelation chapter 1 verse 19. If you remember in verse 1 there of, uh, of uh, or chapter 1 and, we, and verse 19, the very first part, it's that we see that we will have already looked at in chapter 1 the things which you have seen, which was the past. Then we spent to see what the things which are, which is covering during the church age, which is in uh, chapters 2 and 3, which we just finished, which is the current church age. And now we start chapter 4 all the way to the very end, and we see the third part of this God's inspired outline of this book here in chapter 4. We start the things which will take place after these things. The phrase here after these or after these things or after these is metatata, which is an ancient Greek words here for this part. And we see in chapter four, verse one, it is stated twice at the very beginning of the verse and also at the very end of the verse that make note of importance why God had it said twice. Now, as we take a look here in these verses, certainly in, as a marking point here in, in the fact that we're transitioning here to chapter 4, the church, the focus of the previous two chapters won't come up again until the end of the book of Revelation. It is absent from chapter 4 until after 19. But it's absent for a reason, the simple reason, but an amazing reason is that everything Jesus would show John from this point on would take place after the church age. After the rapture of the church, we will see we will be removed from this earth, will be in the presence of God, and God's judgments of the tribulation will be poured out onto this fallen world. Now, when we take a look at this, we know that the Bible and other important references in the Bible to the heaven is also seen in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Go back and read that today on your reading pleasure. Also, read through Ezekiel chapter 1. It gives a little bit more description of what's taking place there in heaven. And it's a passage describing also the tabernacle is a symbolic means of regards to the heaven. I want you to go back and read Exodus chapter 25 through 32 and 30, chapter 35 through 40. Those elements or those chapters are very important to get a full perspective of heaven. Many people stop reading the Old Testament. Here we do not. We study the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation, the whole counsel of God. That's why I'm going to give you references to make sure you go back. If you haven't read them recently, read them now as we're going into this section about heaven. But in the description of heavenly things, John uses symbols. However, not everything is symbolic as we go through these chapters. 
As in the parables of Jesus, many of the details are merely descriptive. And they're not necessarily intended to carry any special significance or special message of their own. And there's very little that we can know of the future. But when we look at the study of the Revelation, we must many times say, oh, I wish we knew more. I wish the Bible said more. I wish we, I could understand more. But once you understand, as you mature in your faith, you realize what God gives to us, we can be sure that we know as much as is good for us, for this time, for this purpose, and that we need to be content in what, what God has given us and what he has not given us in the scripture. That's why we don't add or delete. We know God has given his word, and it's perfect. And what we need to know for this life is perfect by reading the word of God. Do not go and start looking for other things, others' opinions. There is an abrupt shift here from chapters uh, 3 to chapter 4. And today we're going to go move from the seven churches that we studied, each church, each week. If you haven't studied and went through all those, go back and reread those. But we switch from the seven churches now to the picture, the, 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 the place of the God's throne in heaven. In Revelation chapter 4 through 19, we have a section mainly concerned with God's judgment on this world. And this judgment that will pour out on this preceding Jesus' earthly reign, where we will come back with Jesus to reign, it's this period known as the messianic woes or the great tribulation. You'll hear that term as well. That's what we will see in these, verse, these chapters, chapter 4 through 19. Now, what will be God's judgments that many of you are familiar with is that God's judgments are announced by seven sealed scrolls. And seven trumpets, and seven signs, and seven bowls that will be poured out. This is God's wrath upon the fallen world. And Revelation 4 introduces to us a place, a judgment, where the judgment comes from, and that is God's throne in heaven. At the beginning of the vision here, of the horrible disasters that will be poured out, God reassures you and I as the church through John that he is in the throne or on the throne. God is on the throne. We as a church body do not have to worry about our father is in control and he is on the throne and he knows and sees all things. And he's in complete control regardless of what may happen as we will see it poured out onto this earth. The terrible things that are about to happen, the final stage of the redemptive work of Jesus is going to be poured out. And who is the only one worthy to complete what needs to be completed as we also move into chapter 5. Now as we shift our attention from the church on earth to now the church being in heaven, and again, John, the apostle John being the one giving us this vision that God gave him for us to see. Don't lose sight of the importance here. Heaven is a place of worship. And God's people, you and I, shall worship him through all eternity, starting now on this earth. To worship means to ascribe or to, to 
attribute worthy. We see that in chapter 4, verse 11, also noted in chapter 5, verse 12. It means to use or to give all that we are and have to praise God for all that he is and does. We're to be men and women of worship, to worship him and him alone. Yes, we have a focus to witnessing for Christ, to reach the lost. Yes, that we, God's called us to do that. And we're to, before working for Christ, he's got things for us to do for him. So yes, we're witnessing for Christ, we're working for Christ, but more can be said and done about worshiping our Christ. That is where our focus needs to be as well. So the study here in verses, especially chapters 4 and 5, will certainly help you and I better understand how to worship our God and to give Him the glory that He deserves. So today, as we look at these first three verses, we see us starting off with John, the Apostle John, being snatched up from the island of Padmos to heaven and transporting spiritually into the future where he receives visions concerning the end times. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. So here in chapters 2 and 3, we saw the fact that they were speaking of the churches and the history of the churches. And over the time from those real churches on that western part of Turkey and Asia Minor, all the way through the church age, speaking of the types of churches through this age, he says now we're shifting from those seven churches that encompasses all churches. And now after Jesus was finished speaking about these churches, after these things, metatarpa, John is going to experience the vision here in version, uh, Revelation 4 and on. And it signals that the time after the present church age had reached, now he says, behold, a door standing open in heaven. I like this. Because you remember in chapter 3, verse 20, we saw him knocking at the door of the hearts of the people in this church. Knocking at the door to open up your lives to me, to surrender your life to me, to give your life to me, to have a relationship with me, Jesus says. The door's open. And anyone who would open the door and trust in him, open that door. He will come in and dine with you. Personal relationship with you. Intimacy. Not a God from a distance, but a personal God that dwells within. And we see that happening, and now we, we transition. After these things, he says, because anyone who opens the door of his or her heart to the Lord will have the door of heaven open to him or her. Now John is seeing the actual, now that is open to those who have a relationship with Jesus. The door is open in heaven to you. Yes, you. And the first voice he heard that spoke to John 
If you remember, it's the same voice who spoke to him when we saw in chapter 1, verse 10. The voice of Jesus. Jesus called John up to heaven, to the third heavens, uh, through the door standing open in heaven, and it was sounded like a trumpet. It wasn't a trumpet, but like a trumpet, one of, of, of command, one of power, one of distinction. This voice spoke loud and clear to John, and it was like the trumpet that gathered the congregation of Israel together to worship God. It was that, like that trumpet that would gather the army for the battles that God is leading. And what did he say? What did he say to John? And I believe it's the same words we will hear when the rapture happens. And we hear, come up here. Oh, I don't know about you, my brothers and sisters. I can't wait for those words. Amen? Come up here. And it's going to be, <laughs> how about you? When I hear, come up here, I'm out of here. It's that simple. I don't have to sit there and go, come up here. No, no. What about my, my, my house? What, a, what about this? What about, no, no. I'm out of here. You'll be out of here. For those who love Jesus, who are born again, you'll be out of here. We'll be out of here. I have absolute confidence in that. Do you? Do you have that absolute confidence in your heart right now? That the Spirit of God right now is settling your heart? Yes. When he says, come out of here, and you hear that trumpet, that voice. Is the Spirit telling you right now, yes, you'll be out of here? Well, if not, we'll give you an opportunity to settle that. We want you to settle that today before you leave. Because you have no guarantee for tomorrow, amen? You have no guarantee. We always think we have a guarantee, but we don't have a guarantee. But as the Spirit moves, and I know He will, He loves you. He wants you to hear His voice to say He loves you. Because He does love you. But we see that first voice, the voice of Jesus. Like a trumpet. Come up here. Oh my God, John, I got so much to show you. You have no clue how much I have to show you. And I'm only going to give you a glimpse of this. I, you're not even going to be able to. It's going to be very difficult for you even to put it in words and put it on. But I'm going to give you the words. I'm going to give you those things to put down on paper. But it's going to be awesome. Now, as we look at these verses, I know that some may be hearing me today and say, well, but I don't think that talks about the future past. Because some do interpret that John is not seeing the future. But only fulfilling what took place before John's day, referencing the Roman invasion and destruction of Jerusalem. But that's not true because we know by the scriptures, we know by the God's outline that this is talking about the future. It has not happened. The Roman invasion and destruction of Jerusalem already took place. We're talking before, it's going to happen in the future from John. That's why we take and look at all the, the scriptures here to help you understand the scripture. But Jesus clearly told John that he would show him the things which must take place after this. The language implies that John sees and hears next take place. 
Not what happened. The next takes place after the dispensation of the church has ended. After the church age. These things are going to happen. And it's after these things, after the church history. When that last person gets saved, we're out of here. Is there someone here today that once you give your life to Jesus today, we're out of here? Oh, that would be a wonderful Sunday. the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians says. We'll be in the presence of our Lord, seeing the glimpse of the God's throne in heaven. You and I are going to see that. But it's that when that last person gets saved, when the last one is added to the kingdom, when the bride of Christ is complete, we are going to be out of here. We're going up. See, John was the last remaining apostle and member of the church body. Now his elevation to heaven is a picture of the rapture of the church just before the tribulation begins. It is also noteworthy that the invitation comes from Christ himself, who is the one who first spoke to John like a trumpet. There is no references to the church or the saints in Christ. From this point forward, in chapter 4 and 9, there is no reference of the church. Implying that the church has been lifted from the earth. And understand, there is no church, no body of Christ, no bride of the Lamb anymore upon the earth at this point. And only pre-tribulational rapture seems to explain the absence of any reference of the church in these chapters going forward. Therefore, we regard what Jesus will show John in the following chapters of Revelation as belonging to the future, as a preceding the coming reign of Jesus on earth. Because we will come back, and we'll see that at the end of the book of Revelation, we will see Jesus coming back with the church, you and I, coming back to rule and reign on this earth. Now, when you say and hear this, like a trumpet, come up here, I'll spend a little bit more time on this because it's important for you to get this settled in your mind. Because when John was called up to heaven by a voice sounds like a trump, trumpet, it's just as the church will be in as described. And let me give you two key verses. We, we already read, read it out loud today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. But also go back and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. I believe we must understand the rapture based on those two scriptures as a transpiring between chapter 3 and chapter 4. The rapture of the Apostle John is that symbol of that rapture that will take place of the church. And when he does, John sees this door opened in heaven. He is in the spirit caught up far above all the earthly scene that he just left. And he beholds God's throne in heaven and a throne sitter upon it. The pattern is very significant as we study the scripture. Jesus finished speaking to and dealing with the churches. All the churches are encompassed in this heaven. Now, after dealing with the churches, Jesus called John to heaven, catching him up away with a voice 
that sounded like a trumpet. And when we're raptured, the trumpet will be sound. I suggest that Jesus will shout those exact same words as I said. Come up here. Now, all this happened before the great wrath that is described starting in in chapter 6 of Revelation. That's God's wrath coming down on the earth. Remember, I don't believe that God, a loving father, is going to, and Jesus, the, the bridegroom, is going to bring wrath down on his bride before they get bring the, the marriage supper. I just don't see that at all in the character of God, and let alone the relationships of the scripture. So we do not follow or hold to the mid or post-trib view. Again, it's not a divisional thing among the body of Christ, but here at Calvary Chapel, we believe in the pre-trib based on the scriptures that we're reading today. Now in verse 2, the first part of verse 2, notice that immediately I was in the Spirit. John already said he was in the Spirit, if you remember in chapter 1, verse 10. But yet this is a different vision experience. John came to heaven and experienced a heavenly perspective. How did he get there? The Holy Spirit takes complete control of John and presents him with a vision and events taking place in heaven and then eventually on earth. Now I am looking forward to being in the Spirit and to being immediately changed, aren't you? I want that transformation. I want it immediately. And I want it to ha- I would like to have it now. <laughs> Think about this truth. Think about this truth. Right? Really, really, because you really need to make this personal because we all struggle, c- struggle constantly with the thing called the flesh. Our flesh. We're always struggling every day with our flesh. Our fleshly ways, our fleshly thoughts. Reacting in fleshly ways or doing something in the flesh. But we all fail continually because this flesh sometimes can be very powerful. But there's coming a day when we will no longer struggle in the flesh. Why? Because we'll be out of here. We'll be, we will be transformed. We'll be changed. Because when we see him, we will shall be like him, 1 John 3, 2. I'm so looking forward to the day when we no longer struggle in our flesh. So that's why people say, why are you so rushing to get to heaven? I don't like the struggle. (laughs) It solves all my problems. (laughs) It solves everything. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to have the problems, nor these aches and pains of this body that I have. It's wearing out this tent. They can only sew me up so many times. They can only remove things as they are deteriorating so many times. But when we're in heaven, we'll be perfect. It's important to know this. Why? Because when he's lifted up, The question was, where was John's body? Was his body with him? Was John's body in heaven also with him or just his spirit? Was it just his spirit? No, no. It's impossible to know if it was, if he had his body or or not up there. So don't let anyone tell you, oh, when John went up there, it was his body. We, nowhere in the scriptures tell us that. So you cannot add that. Matter of fact, Paul says something very interesting. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 4. 
Paul, when he had his heavenly experience, didn't know if he was in, was in the body or, or, or not. So don't let anyone say, oh yeah, my whole body, everything. Again, nowhere in the scriptures do we see that. But look at the first, second part of verse 2 here. And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So the very first thing he sees as he walks through the open door into heaven is the beautiful, magnificent throne of God in heaven. So what did John see? What caught his eye when he got to heaven? Did he see Peter the greeter at the pearly gates? No! Peter the greeter wasn't walking through this door and, and, and that's who you saw when you first walked through that door. No, 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 no. It's not scriptural. Nor was it the music team of angels playing their harps and feathers flying everywhere experience. Nor did we immediately see the long-lasting friends and relatives who had gone to heaven earlier. What John saw, and what we will focus in on when we get there, is the throne of God and the one who sits on it. See, this throne was what first impressed John, and it is the centerpiece of this vision. The th word th throne, as you do your word study, you will see this, this word is the key word of all of the book of Revelation. It's, it's over 40 times. I believe it's 42. Some say 46. I, it's just it's over 40 times in the book of Revelation. And it means not merely just God's presence, but it's his sovereign, rightful reign and his right to judge and the one who sits on the throne is God the Father. And clearly distinguished from the Lamb, the God the Son, that we will see in chapter 5, verse 13. Who sits on the throne with the Father. They're one. For some of you, you may be asking, how do we reconcile with the contradictory biblical statements that you've memorized? Such as Exodus 33, 20. Or 1 Timothy chapter 6, 15 and 16. Or Revelation 22, verse 4. Where it says, you cannot see God and live. Now we're going to go into heaven and we see God and we're going to live? How does that reconcile, you may say? Well, I believe the three verses that say that man cannot see God and live refers to a man who is unperfect unglorified condition of his earth, earthly body. In our present state today, we cannot see God and live. We cannot behold the, the, the manifestation of God and survive that experience. However, in our immortal body, our imperishable new bodies in heaven will be granted the immeasurable, unfathomable privilege of seeing this localized manifestation of our Heavenly Father. We will see the Father in heaven. Are you ready? Because our bodies will be transformed and we will have the blessing to be in the presence of God. 
Through our perfect eyes, we will see the very face, the very presence of God. Remember, we do not see the physical face. We don't see the physical body of God. No, no, no. He, remember, God is spirit, John 4, 24. Because God is light, 1 John 1, 5. And spirit is invisible. Therefore, whenever God manifests himself, he does so in the form of light. It will be incredible. Can you put words to it? That's why we see in the scripture that is God is many times will give the attributes of a human, the face, the hands and stuff, just to help us to understand in our finite mind. See, the Lord is robed in light, Psalm 104, 2 says. 1 Timothy 6, verse 16. But we know for a fact in the scriptures, we will see the manifestation of the Father in heaven as well as the face of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a guarantee. Verse 3. And he who sat there was like a jasper. So it's, he's giving a description of what this heavenly throne looks like. He who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. We see a little glimpse of the description here. As John described the occupant of the throne, he does not describe a, a distinct figure here. There, there is here no description of a divine being to point out the likenesses or the shape or the dimensions. No, no, no. He only tells us that he beheld the presence whose glory was what? Like a jasper gem, a stone. And a, a Seredus stone in appearance. Now, why these two stones? Why is that? Why is that important? Well, instead of describing a specific form of figure, John describes the presence or the glistening light in two colors here. The jasper is not the op op opaque, fleshly looking color stone that we're talking here that we're familiar with by the name today. And the reason why we know it's not, because he later describes what this stone looks like in chapter 21, verse 11. It is clear as crystal. Many of us, and I do believe, it's the diamond, which is the most precious and brilliant of all the jewels. The other stone the sardius is a blood red. It maybe could, I believe, is the ruby red gem that is being described here. The question now, you and I, as, as Bible students, where have we seen these stones and this mentioned before in the scripture? Because scripture always supports scripture. You don't have to go look for a commentator on this. Look at the scripture. The scripture speaks to the scripture here. And it supports it. Well, we go back because remember that these two gems really together communi communicates the glory of the throne here. What does that communicate? The, uh, beautiful from our perspective, right? Because of the clarity, the brilliance, the, uh, the, the purity of the diamond and the red or the sacrifice of the love that we have here. But remember, the first readers 
of the book of this letter that they're receiving here were converted Jews. And these converted Jews would have known the Old Testament, would have known in the first five books from the breastplate of the high priest, again, bringing the tabernacle in a view of a picture of heaven, we see the breastplate coming here. And if you remember, that high priest wore this breastplate and it had 12 stones on it representing each stone of the, each of the tribe of Jacob. Now, when you look at those stones, and if you study them, and you go back to Exodus 28, verses 17 through 20, and Exodus chapter 39 also depicts of the same stones and colors, 10, verses 10 and 11. But when you look at the first of the 12 sons of Jacob, was who? Reuben. Reuben's name means behold or see a son. That's what his meaning is. The Sardius stone, that ruby red. The last son of the twelve is who? Benjamin. Benjamin's name means son of my right hand. The Jasper stone. So when you put those together, you have behold, the son of my right hand. Now, not only does that give you a forward-thinking view of Jesus who's going to be in their presence there. The Father says here, behold, my son. We also see that God uses in the scripture here something that you and I are well aware of, and that is the rainbow. Now, notice the difference here in the rainbow, because what you and I picture, and we look so forward to see these things, that the rainbow was around the throne. It wasn't just a half an arc here. It surrounded the throne. The throne was surrounded not merely as by an arc, but for in heaven all things are completed. And it's by this beautiful symbol of grace in this green-hued rainbow in appearance like an emerald. The rainbow is a reminder of what? Back to the Old Testament. That's the Noahic covenant that God gave to us in Genesis chapter 9, verses 11 through 17. God's commitment. Not to judge the world by flooding like he did with Noah in his time. Judgment is about to fall. But the rainbow reminds us that God is merciful even when he judges Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2. And it's around this heavenly scene, this setting, all the sovereignty, all the power, all the authority, all the glory is in this presence here. And it's, it's, this is God's throne in heaven and is what you and I have to look forward to. When things get tough here, look up, the Bible says. Ponder on the things that are in your future. The situation does not dictate your future. The challenges, the suffering, the problems, the persecutions that we are seeing in the scripture, we as believers are going to be persecuted for our faith in Jesus. Yes, it will rain on the just and unjust. 
And here in the North Country, we say it snows and blizzards on the just and the unjust as well. But it's just temporary. Because when we come into the throne of God, it's going to be beautiful. Its presence is indescribable. And the unchanging goodness and the grace of God, despite man's depravity, God has made a way for you and I to enter through this open door in heaven and see God's throne in heaven. God's throne in heaven is a throne of grace, my brothers and sisters. It's a throne of grace, amazing grace. The question is, have you opened up your door to your heart? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? So that you have that guarantee, that promise of walking through the open door to heaven. That's the question for you. And so now as we now shift here, we're going to celebrate this truth by coming to the communion table. As the men get prepared to do communion and pass these elements out for those who are believers this is for you and for me if you haven't decided to give your life to Jesus this is not a time for you you are not to take communion because I don't want harsher judgment to come upon you but as we worship God as we give our life as we just worship him in song, as we lead to him, I want you to make sure you get, if there's anything in your life that is not right with God, lay it at his feet today.